Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Time for another episode of uh, Where Are They Now? He played in only 123 games with the A's of the big leagues from uh, 09 to, uh, to 2011. But he was one of our favorite people and certainly was a part of a magic moment catching the perfect game for Dallas Braden on May 9th in 2010. Uh, A's catcher Landon Powell now in his eighth year, eighth year as the uh, head coach of the Crusaders at North Greenville University in North Carolina, where you uh, – where you're born, where you grew up, and it's home again for you, Landon. So thanks for spending some time with us. What's it like being the head coach there and, uh, and still being a part of the great game of baseball? Well, first off, just it's awesome to visit with you, Vince. It's been too long. It's great to see your face. You haven't aged a day. Um, I've aged many days, but you look exactly the same as I remember you. And uh, um, so i just thrilled to be back with you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm fortunate to still be involved in this game. You know, I think there's a lot of us, you included, that are baseball lifers. We love this game, and we want to spend every day at a field that we can. And uh, so when I got done playing with Oakland, well, you know, I actually played for the Astros and Mets after I left Oakland. But when I got done and hung my cleats up, you know, I, I uh, decided to try to stay in the game, got an opportunity to coach back home, and uh, – went to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina for a year, and then North Greenville University offered me their job at the end of that season here in Greenville, South Carolina. This is where my wife was from. It's a couple hours from where I grew up, but uh, I've loved it. It's been a great experience. Um, you know, just, I, I get to, I don't, don't feel like I have a job. I get to go to the field every day and be, be involved in a game I've loved since I was a kid, and I get to coach uh, young guys and, and hopefully develop them on and off the field, and it's been it's been awesome. So I, I really love what's going on in my life, and I'm I'm grateful for all those that kind of led me on this path. Landon, you played at South Carolina, and you know your numbers were historic. I think it took until Justin Smoke to break your uh, home run record there at, at South Carolina with the Gamecocks. You went to three College World Series. There was a time where they announced a legends team, a who's who of players of the College World Series, which you were a part of. That had to be a tremendous honor, which I want to get to. But you're drafted by the Athletics. And it seemed like early in your career, before you got to the big leagues, there was a, a wonderment trying to stay on the field and stay healthy and wonder if you're ever going to get that chance. How difficult was that, the, you know, the joy and the excitement of college baseball and then stepping finally to pro ball, which was a dream come true, and finding some struggles just trying to, to, to stay on the field and make that happen? Yeah, you know, my career was interesting. I, I, was a, I never got injured growing up and all through college. I mean, I, I played four years of college, and not, I don't think I ever missed a game. And, uh you know, I got drafted by Oakland, and, and that's my dream. I, since I was a kid, I wanted to play in the big leagues. I wanted to play professional baseball. So Oakland drafts me in the first round and gives me an opportunity, and I immediately get hurt. 
uh, tore my ACL and missed the whole season. And that was, you know, it just was a lot of adversity I hadn't dealt with before. And so coming back from that injury, um, I, I ended up tearing it two years later, again, the same ACL. So my minor league career was kind of riddled with roadblocks. And, uh, um, but I, you know, I look back at that and I feel like I, I was a strong willed kid and I, I came through it all. And I, you know, persevered. I had great trainers and, and uh, people in Oakland that helped me. I mean, the organization itself was very patient with me. And I think a lot of organizations might not have waited as long as they did to get me healthy. And so I'm really grateful for Oakland's patience with me. Uh, but I was finally able to kind of get through. I had two, two ACL surgeries, a third knee surgery and a liver disease in like a four year period. It, it was kind of crazy. So I finally got through all that and got to the big leagues in Oakland in 09. And um, I was lucky to stay pretty healthy during that time. But uh, yeah, you know, um, adversity is part of sports and I knew I was going to deal with it. Um, everyone does. I think it just made me a, a better competitor and made me uh, have better perspective about my career. And um, so I'm very grateful for the games and time that I had. That first big league hit was was a memorable one because it's against one of the you know the best pitchers of your generation in Felix Hernandez playing and pitching for the Seattle Mariners. Take me through those moments and what that uh, that was like for Landon Powell. Well, you know, uh, King Felix. Uh, whenever you have a name that starts with King, you know you know you're pretty good. So uh, uh, you know, like King James in basketball, he's pretty good too. But yeah, I mean, Felix Hernandez was one of the best in the game that those couple of years that I was in the big leagues. And, um, you know, I think he won a Cy Young and threw a perfect game, and he was pretty dominant. So my first start was against Seattle. He's on the mound. I'll never forget that first at bat because, you know, just like we were talking about with all those injuries and things I dealt with, it was a it was a moment for me personally. Like, I knew how much I had kind of overcome all the blood, sweat, and tears I had to get through to get to that moment just to be standing in that batter's box. Um, so very emotional moment for me. Uh, I remember I tell people all the time because it's, you know, I'll never forget the sequence, but, you know, he threw a first pitch fastball and I, I, I don't even think I saw it. It was so fast and moved so much. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, like that thing was like 96 with a foot of run. And um, and then I took it and the umpire called it a strike. And I was just like, I guess it was a strike. I didn't see it, but if he says it was, I guess it was. Next pitch, he threw another one. I took it because I didn't see it either. And the umpire called it a ball. I'm like, yeah, that was a ball, sure. Uh, you know, and then 1-1, one, one, he threw a pitch. And I closed my eyes and swung. There's two guys on base. I think Mark Ellis might have been on first. And he scored all the way from first. It was a two-RBI double. It hit the right center field fence. And I'm just standing on second base in Oakland Coliseum. And, you know, the fans are cheering and going nuts. And I, I had goosebumps all over my body. It was just, uh, you know, to be there in that moment, to know that I had overcome all those things and I had achieved that dream of playing in the big leagues. And here I am. Like, no one can ever take this moment away from me. Um, I tell people all the time, I could have – you know, I could have quit right then. Like I was, that was a very, that's all I wanted to get there. I just wanted to, after all the stuff I'd been through, I just wanted to get there and prove that I could. Uh, but, you know, they pay baseball players a lot of money, so I didn't quit. I decided to stick it out a little bit, but uh, that was an awesome moment. Um, I went back and watched it on video afterwards, Vince. I thought it was a fastball I hit. It was a changeup. It was 88, which is probably the only reason I was able to get to it. But uh, yeah, it's a great moment. It's obviously one of my, my highlights in my career, just having that first hit and doing it in my first at bat. And, Man, Ray Fossey on the call. You know, I miss Ray. I know you guys do. And he, he was – that call was awesome. So, I get to I get to hear that every once in a while and watch that video back. So, Anytime a catcher can root for a catcher and nobody did it harder or better than Ray, it has to really mean an awful lot. That's right. Yeah, he's a good one. I and mean, I know we all miss him. You know, 
when you look at the A's, Landon, they went to the postseason, got to the ALCS in 06. Bob Melvin came on, you know, midway through 11, and then they began that stretch 12. You're kind of in the middle of that. What was uh, that band of A's team like, the guys that you played with uh, during that time? Yeah, I loved it. It was a good group. You know, um, we had some veteran holdovers like Eric Chavez and Mark Ellis and some of those guys. Um, Giambi had come back um, for my rookie year. So to have some of those veteran guys that um, had been there and knew what the Oakland A brand was about and, and, and how we wanted to play the game, that helped a lot of us young guys. I think my rookie year, we had eight or nine rookies on the team. I mean, myself and Brett Anderson, Gio Gonzalez, Trevor Cahill, Andrew Bailey. I mean, there's a bunch of us. Uh, Cliff Pennington. So we were a very young group that kind of got there all at the same time. And, um, you know, a lot of guys ended up having great careers off of that team, a lot of all-star appearances. And, you know, Kurt Suzuki and myself were both young catchers. Um, Travis Buck was a, a young outfielder. So we had a ton of talent. We were just very young. Um, I think our second year, maybe 2010, is the year we came in second in the division. We were pretty close there at the end. The Rangers pulled away, and they ended up going all the way to the World Series. But you know, the West was a good division then. You know, the Angels and the Rangers both had really good teams, and we were doing our best to compete with them. But, um, you know, Bob Guerin was a fun manager to play for. Um, I loved all the staff. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't have a ton to compare to because I spent most of my big league time with Oakland. But, um, you know, it's a, it was a great organization that I love very much. And, and to this day, I'm still – listen, I'm on my desk here in my office, I still got Oakland A's stuff. So, you know, I'm still an Oakland A's guy, even though I'm several thousand miles away. We're enjoying our conversation with Landon Powell in our Where Are They Now episode. Landon, what do you remember about the, the first time you crossed paths with Dallas Braden? <laughs> um, man, so we were drafted the same year in 04. Um, got sent to Vancouver to play some rookie ball up there. And um, he was a wild man. He came, you know, he came in. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, and it's well known in the baseball circles. But um, Dallas, you know, was from Stockton, and he, he, he had some tattoos and things. So we were in the training room. This is maybe the first week I'd ever met Dallas. And he was in the training room getting ready for a start or something. Had his shirt off, was, I think, heating his shoulder. And he had a, a tattoo right on his stomach that said 209, which was, you know, we all know what that means now if you're a fan of Dallas. That was the area code for Stockton. And um, so Ron Romanic was our pitching coordinator. And he was in town to see all the new draft picks. And this is like the top minor league pitching guy in the whole organization. So he walks into the training room. And Dallas doesn't know who he is. I did. I knew who he was. Dallas had no clue who he was. He just thought he was some guy walking in the training room. And uh, Ron Romanek looks at Dallas and goes, Zog, what's Zog? Because, you know, he misread his tattoo. And Dallas looked at him and was like, it's 209, brother. Better learn about it or something like that. And we were just like, oh, my. He just, and, and Romanek took it like a, he just started laughing right away. To me, that, like, defines who Dallas is to this day. You know, he is, he is who he is. He is very – you know, he's a character, he's hilarious, he's, he's quick-witted, and um, he's unapologetic about who he is, and I love that about him. Um, I will tell you this, Dallas and I could not be more opposites. Uh, we come from totally different walks of life, totally different ends of the spectrum, but he was one of my favorite guys I played with. We always had a good relationship. You know, he, he would rag me and bust my balls or whatever, and I would do it right back to him. And, um, you know, to this day, we still text often, and I'm happy to see he's back with Oakland and what he's doing there. and. Um, yeah, he's a character. Why isn't he your pitching coach at North Greenville University? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm not sure he would he would like the way of life here in slow-paced South Carolina. He might, but, uh, yeah, we talked about it. Honestly, we, he, we talk often. He's like, man, if you ever got a spot, let me know. But, 
you know, he's doing big things out there with you guys, and he, he's uh, the camera loves that face. So, um, but yeah, I uh, I coach with him in a heartbeat. Landon, baseball is a tough enough sport, and we always talk on the air. The, one of the joys of showing up at the ballpark for us, for what we do, broadcasting the games, myself and Ken and and Kipe and Dallas on on television is that you may see something that day that you have never seen before or certainly something that's unexpected. And it all points toward that day, Mother's Day on, on May 9th of, of 2010, when you caught Dallas's perfect game. Uh, there has to be so many memories about just different moments before the game, bullpen, in the game, and then, of course, the, the final ground ball, uh, the shortstop. Just start at the beginning. What, what, what are your initial remembrances of, of uh, Sunday morning, Mother's Day, in the clubhouse getting ready for that game against uh, the Rays? Yeah, you know, um, so I was a backup catcher. Suzuki was our starter, and I think Suzuki was actually hurt. I think he had uh, done something, maybe, I can't remember what it was. He was on the DL, so they had called Josh Donaldson up from AAA. So uh, now Josh and I were both kind of splitting time behind the plate. So that was my turn to catch. I had been catching Dallas a lot that year just because of our relationship going back in the minor league. So I was catching a lot of his starts. Um, I love to play on Sundays. That was kind of my day anyway. That was Suzuki's off day, so I play a lot of Sundays. Uh, I like day games in Oakland. Um, the thing I remember is Dallas was running late. Like, he got he got to the field, like, real late. He was scrambling, which is very unlike him. Usually on his start days, you remember, I mean, he was, he was very prepared. He was, he was, uh, he would come in. Uh, it, it, he was a different guy on his start days. Like, all, when he wasn't starting, he was a character. He's life of the party. He's the class clown. On his start days, he was serious. It was all business. And, um, you know, so he came in that day kind of scrambling, running late. That's, I do remember that. But, uh, you know, we, we had already done some scouting report stuff on Tampa, but we didn't do anything extra or extraordinary. Um, we just went into that game, and, and I kind of had a game plan of obviously wanted to use his changeup, which we always used. It was his best pitch. But we were trying to use his slider as more of a get-me-over pitch and OO counts. That was something new we were doing. And that ended up, to me, when I look at that perfect game, the, the, the OO sliders that he flipped in there for strikes or even 1-0 sliders, that was kind of the big pitch of the, of the perfect game. He, he probably did it 10 or 12 times in fastball counts. And it, was, it allowed him to save his changeup screwball um, until two strikes. So it was just one of those magical days. I, I, uh, the way I look at it, Vince, I was a backup catcher. I got to catch once a week, twice a week at the most. You know, the odds of me being in the lineup on a day like that and, and having a perfect game happen were so small. The fact that it was Dallas, a contact pitcher that didn't throw hard and didn't have a ton of strikeouts, you know, to, for him to throw the perfect game in a place like Oakland that has a ton of you – know, Oakland's got a big outfield. There's a lot of grass out there. So contact pitchers in Oakland usually, you know, have to have to be dialed in. Um, so it's just a magical day. I, I think baseball's I, – I believe very strongly that baseball is kind of one of those magical games that things happen in weird ways. And that day was a special day. I, I, uh, part of this is to kind of hammer home what I think is makes it a special day, like kind of a weird baseball thing. Maybe the second or third inning, there was a foul ball. It rolled 10 feet away or so. And I picked it up and went to flip to Jim Wolf, the home plate umpire. And he flipped me a ball out of his bag at the same time. And the balls collided in midair, which is just kind of funny. That doesn't happen much. So me and Jim Wolf, we laughed about it. Pick the ball up, throw to Dallas. Three or four innings later, it's like the seventh or eighth inning. Dallas is on the rubber, and he wants a new ball. He doesn't like the one he has, so he shakes it, and he throws it at me. Jim Wolf grabs the ball out of his bag and throws it at Dallas. I mean, we're talking 60 feet from the mound to home plate. 
in midair, the balls collide in between home plate. That was just one of those, like, what just happened? Like, that's – and you knew right then, like, this is just – baseball's a crazy game, and, and it's a magical game, and stuff happens in weird ways. And uh, that the whole day to me, when I think about it, is just a – it was a magical day. It could be an ESPN 30 for 32 because, I mean, Eric Patterson is making his debut in left field in the big leagues. Not his, not his major league debut, but his debut playing that position. And he had a chance that, you know, could have made or break break that moment for you and for Dallas. Uh, I mean, those are the kind of things that, that I remember about that day that, you know, when you look back on it, you think of, you know, planets aligning and, and it really you and your and Dallas getting a chance to have uh, somebody special touch you on the shoulder to be a part of that moment for sure no doubt I mean EPAT made some great plays in left um, and like you said his major league debut out there I remember Kuzminoff making two or three incredible plays at third you know made a sliding play in front of the dugout and made a, a great um, fielding play I think backhand down the line um, you know there's a lot that Derek Barton made a really good play over at first base so um, it's just it was it was kind of a, a lineup that you wouldn't expect to be out there during a perfect game. It was some young guys, some some green guys, myself included. And um, but hey, there it was. It happened. The 19th perfect game in history, and it's something that I'll cherish till the day I die. When did you start thinking about that game sitting in the dugout? That hey, I mean something could happen today. You know, so for me, like as a catcher, you think about those things all the time when you have a no-hitter going in the fourth or fifth. You're like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to catch a no-hitter or whatever. But this particular day, I don't think I was thinking about a whole a whole lot. I knew Dallas was cruising. He was working fast. Um, yeah, I knew that he was pitching well, but I don't think I was really following the fact that no one had been on base. Maybe around the fifth, I was like, man, he's got a no-hitter going. And then as I was thinking about that, I started thinking, well, I don't think he's walking anybody, and there haven't been any errors. I was like, this is a perfect game. But let's not think about it. Let's not jinx it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And, and you know, to be honest, and, and Dallas would probably tell you the same thing, you know, I didn't think Dallas would throw a, a complete game, perfect game. Was, he, he hasn't thrown a complete game, I don't think, in his whole career, even in the minor leagues. So, yeah, I wasn't expecting that to be the outcome. But I was like, man, Dallas is cruising. Let's just keep this rolling and get to, you know, get, get Michael Wirtz and Andrew Bailey in here late, and this thing will be over. That's probably what I was thinking. But when we got to the seventh, when the seventh inning finished, I was like, man, six more outs. Like, that's – totally doable so the eighth inning was probably the first time i felt pressure or nervousness was probably in the eighth inning one of the great conversations post perfect game with dallas and he had this conversation slash argument for for many years about facing gabe kapler and thinking he was throwing a 2-2 pitch to kapler when the count actually was three balls and a strike and uh I've known Gabe for a long time, well before he became a manager. I was with him with the Rangers uh, back in the early 2000s. And I, I have an appreciation for a player that understands where he is in that moment. And he was going to make him earn it from the standpoint, I'm going to swing the bat. Take me through that, that last at-bat with Kapler and the ball going to Cliff Pennington. Yeah, so Kapler had had probably, probably the best at-bat of the entire game earlier in the game. I think he fouled off. Tons of, I think he had a 12 pitch at bat or something and hit a line drive to left field that Eric Patterson made a really good play on. Um, I believe that was the result of the play. But so to have that last at bat, it, I knew it was 3 1. That's the funny thing when Dallas says he thought it was 2 2. Like I, I, did, I thought it was 3 1. And I was calling basically fastball middle end so that we know that we're going to throw this thing in the strike zone. Dallas had a good run on his fastball that day. So I think we set up like kind of a middle, middle end fastball. And uh, it, it was probably ball four. And 
and you know Gabe, like you said, he was aggressive. He didn't want to ruin the perfect game by walking. I respect that immensely, and that's why Gabe Kapler is a great baseball guy, and, and everyone knows it. That's why he's in the big leagues managing right now. And you know, I saw last night where he had a player, a young guy on his team, lay down a bunt in a nine or ten run game, and Bowmel didn't like it very much. And Kapler confronted the player about it, which is the right thing to do. And you know, he's a good baseball guy, and that's why he's had such a good career. And so. Uh, but yeah, he he definitely swung it, probably ball four, and hit a ground ball short, and Cliff made the play, and then we celebrated. So, Landon, I want to take a step aside because you kind of glossed over what you've had to deal with personally, both for yourself and for your family, with the liver disease, the autoimmune deficiencies that you've had, and you've you've had difficulties that no no parent should have to endure, and that's saying goodbye at a very early time to your daughter Izzy, and then you've got Holden now and Ellie in your family with Allison. Uh, you, how do you honor Izzy these days? Uh, you've got some things that you're working on with uh, donations and, and an organization to get people aware about organ donation. It's, I can't imagine what that was like, but you, because you're such a special person and a special family, you've been able to, to, to take that and try to bring hope to somebody else. Yeah, thanks, Vince, for bringing her up. And, and um, she's a big part of our life. We talk about her every day. Um, you know, I, I know she's not here with us, but I, I she is here with us. I mean, I, I can tell you sitting here right here on my desk, like I got these little poker chips with her name on it. You know, if you can see, I don't know if I can do that. The camera it says Izzy. And then I have a picture over here on my desk of her when she was, you know, young. So um, she's a big part of our life. We, we still talk about her daily. Um, what happened with her and our family was tragic. It was hard. You know, um, we had twin daughters that were born and Izzy was born with a disease, a, a, an autoimmune disease that um, you know, basically was uncurable. She lived to be, you know, over five months. She, she passed away right at five months old. And, um, you know, as a parent to, to hold your daughter in your arms as she takes her last breath, I mean, it, it changes your life. There's no way around it. You know, it definitely changed my life forever. Um, you know, I, I have some scars and wounds that will probably never heal, but um, I wanted to honor her and honor her life and, and her memory. And so we, we talk about her all the time. We've been involved in charities that, that benefit things that would have helped kids like her. And there's a lot of other kids that are like her. So um, she's, you know, we work with a, a, a charity called uh, Donate Life South Carolina, and they're in charge of the organ and tissue donation for the registry. You know, when you get your driver's license and it has a heart on it, um, that, that's Donate Life. That's a national charity. But we particularly work with the one in South Carolina we did an event every year called Donors on the Diamond, um, brought a bunch of folks onto a baseball field, did a big dinner, a charity event, had some items to auction off, raised money for Donate Life. Um, so those kind of things are things we've done in her memory. Um, but you know, I, I love to talk about her. Um, it, it's, it's therapy in a way. Um, uh, you know, As a Christian, that's I'll tell you Vince, that's a big part of my life. Um, I'm, I'm a Christian and um, I think that's probably the biggest single thing I can tell you that helped my wife and I through that situation is that we had a bigger view of what life is and we knew that may her life be over here but we feel like we're going to see her again one day and, and so that's kind of the hope we hold out and um but yeah we um we you know it's it's great it's uh i will say this it's hard for people to probably have this perspective or understand but um izzy was a twin so her sister ellie is now nine years old and i don't know if i have a photo here's a photo i think of ellie holden over here um, but like they're, you know, they're, and so for us to be able to still get to celebrate our other two kids and to, to see Izzy every day and Ellie, cause they would be the same age. And 
Um, it, it's given us some peace and some grace. So, um, but uh, not something I would, work, I would wish on anyone to go through. But I'm I'm grateful that it happened in my life and that I have that perspective. And and um, it's it's honestly made my my wife and I and our kids. It's made us love each other more. You know, going through something like that. How busy is the Powell family these days? I mean, everyone that has kids yeah. at that age, we've all been there and experienced, uh, you know, you, you pick the event and mom or dad is packing the car and you're going somewhere to do something. Yeah, so like today, I have baseball practice here at North Greenville. Um, as soon as practice is over, I'm hightailing at home to pick up my son and I got to take him across town to baseball practice. While I'm doing that, my wife is taking my daughter to tennis practice or maybe soccer tonight, I'm not sure. So my son's playing basketball and baseball. My daughter's playing soccer and tennis my wife and I are both working full-time jobs but that's what you want I mean that's why you have family that's why you have kids these are the things you like and um, I, I know my kids are enjoying it and loving it my wife and I may be a little run ragged but um, I wouldn't have it any other way Landon your numbers are impressive at, at North Greenville I mean you, they're, they're jumping off the page the success you've had there you inherited a program that wasn't that good what 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 uh, what brought you to this opportunity and and how much fun have you had you know being the head coach at a at a program that can you know inspire kids both on and off the field because they've got in in land and pal they've got a pretty special guy that's leading the way you know I, I grew up the son of a coach and a lot of my mentors in life were, were coaches so that's kind of something i always knew in the back of my head i wanted to do um, my last year playing with the nets um i was struggling i was my body was breaking down and i was getting old i was 32 i think and um, I got sent to AAA. Wally Backman was my manager. And I actually went into his office and I told Wally, I said, you know, I think I want to be a coach when I'm done. It's something I've thought about for years. Um, you know, and, and, and he kind of shepherded me in, through that transition of player moving into coach. I actually started throwing BP during, during practice every day before games. And, um, and so I was kind of preparing my mind mentally to, to go into coaching when I was done playing. When I retired, came home, I got an opportunity right away here in Greenville at Furman University, which is a, an academic school here locally, not really known for athletics, but um, a really good school. And um, so I went there for a year and I, I just fell in love with coaching, like to be able to go show a kid. And especially, I think something I learned, Vince, is like, we don't realize it as players, but when you play at the big league level and, and go that far in the game at the highest level, you learn so many things you just kind of absorb. And then when you go back to like the college level, especially like the mid-major level where I was at, you realize how much these kids have an experience and they don't know and there's so much for them to learn. And I love that. I love the fact that, man, I was equipped. I had all this information that I didn't even realize I knew and I can pay this forward to these guys and it's like game-changing stuff for them. And so it was really fun to go coach and like show somebody something and then watch them take it out and practice and then take it into the game and have the success and like watch their eyes light up. Like, oh my gosh, like that's that's fun that makes this game easy and um so to me that was a fulfilling thing and I wanted to do it more um so I kind of knew right away that I wanted to coach the rest of my life um I just I loved it right away so at the end of that year North Greenville called and offered me this job um like you kind of mentioned they weren't very good I, I would say they were they were probably worse than that they <laughs> the year before I got here they were eight and 38 um the facility here was really bad like a bad high school facility we didn't have a, a, a press box or bathrooms or concession stands um, we didn't have bleachers, but we had like a grass hill behind home plate. Um, it's a it's a Christian school here, like a Bible college here in South Carolina. So not a lot of kids were, are probably like around the country, at least, are looking to go to a school like this. Um, so it was a challenge to kind of build. But here we are eight years later, and um, 
I feel like we've done a really good job. You know, we have a great new facility now. It's all turf. Um, we have one of the best facilities in Division Two in the country. Um, you know, our college has grown. Um, we've had a lot of success. We've won, um, you know, if you take COVID year out because we didn't really get to compete, we've had six seasons of real competition. We've won four conference championships. We've won three in a row. Um, we've hosted an NCAA regional here on our field three years in a row. And um, we've been ranked in the top five in the polls pretty consistently the last five years. So um, we're rocking and rolling. I think we got a good program. We're doing a lot of good things. And and I love it. Like, I just love being able to come out here and make an impact on these guys' lives and kind of, you know, I had great coaches and mentors in my career from high school all the way through professional baseball. And, you know, guys like Scott Emerson and Darren Bush, and those guys made big impacts on my career. And so I feel like I'm getting an opportunity now to pay it forward to the next generation. And uh, and I love that. So, Landon, the, the uh, Oakland organization, you know, began in 1968 this year's the 50th anniversary of their first world series win the first of three in a row it's a franchise that is steeped in tremendous baseball tradition and great players that have come through you played 123 games and yet you you made an impact because you were part of one of the most special moments in the history of the franchise as as we conclude this conversation how special is that for Landon Powell that while the career may have not been as long as you wanted to be in the big leagues and you made the most of it and certainly you've got on to, to uh, use those experiences in, a, in an outstanding way, what did wearing those white spikes mean to Landon Powell? The, the, the time that you had may be short, but certainly was a, a great run. Yeah, I, I'm very, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for my career and I, honestly, I'm proud and, and, I was telling this to one of my players the other day. I have a senior on my team now at North Greenville that's looking down the barrel of his career being over. He knows he's on his last 15 or 20 games of his career. And he's he's struggling with that. It's hard to grasp. And, yeah, I let him know kind of my perspective on my career. Did I think when I was a kid that I'd be a Hall of Famer? Did I want to be a Major League All-Star? Yes, of course. I think all players do. You know, when I was a first-round draft pick, did the Oakland A's expect me to be a Major League All-Star? Yeah, they probably did. Did that, is that, that how things worked out for me? No. Um, did I – was I a flop? Did I, not, uh, did I not live up to the expectations that maybe Oakland had for me? In my mind, no. I was a guy that had a lot of adversity put in front of me with all these injuries and liver diseases. And even when I got to the big leagues, still dealing with my liver disease and taking the medication and things I took every day. You know, if people knew the truth of, like, what I was doing, um, the medicine I took – caused me to gain weight. It caused my vision to decrease. It caused me to strain muscles very, very regularly. It was not a, a drug made for baseball players. Let's just say that. So I look at my career and I'm actually really proud that I was able to overcome the things I did and still realize my dream of getting to the big leagues. And yeah, I, I wasn't an all-star and I didn't hit hundreds of home runs, but I had some really cool moments. I think I made an impact on the organization. I believe that my teammates valued me and enjoyed me. Um, I, I think I represented myself well to that organization. Um, and, and I have some memories that I get to take with me the rest of my life, things that my kids can be proud of. And um, so I don't have a single regret about my career. I'm, I'm grateful what I was able to accomplish and do. And, you know, I didn't get to play as long as maybe I would have hoped, but here I am still in the game making an impact. Um, I love to win. I love to compete. And I'm still able to do that now. So um, Oakland was not a team I grew up rooting for. I was a South Carolina, North Carolina kid. I was here in the South. I was more of a Braves fan, to be honest. But Oakland is the team that drafted me. And so from that day forward, um, that was they're kind of my ride or die. You know, I felt very loyal to them. And 
Um, so now I am an Oakland guy. I root for them every game I get a chance to. I'll try to watch them as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always be an A. And uh, wearing those white cleats was, uh, was a privilege. You know, if, uh, anybody that's been a part of the Oakland A's family understands what that means. So, Landon, it's been great hearing the memories and great catching up with you. So happy to hear about good things happening uh, with yourself and Allison and Holden and Ellie. And, and I know that you keep Izzy close to your heart. Yeah, thank you. It's hard, man. I uh, trust me. I appreciate your uh, emotion about her because I feel that every day. You know, Oakland honored her. My my friends and teammates have honored her over the years, and uh, anyone that's dealt with that kind of stuff, it's tough. But uh, um, you know, life here on this, this earth is short. But in my opinion, um, we have eternity waiting for us, and I look forward to seeing her then. So, um, I appreciate you, Vince. Come back and see us. I will. I want to. I definitely want to. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.